We are so grateful you've tuned in today to the Mountain View Church Sermon Podcast. Wherever you find yourself, whatever you believe, our prayer is that the next 30 to 40 minutes adds value to your life and leads you closer to God. If you ever want to join us in person, we would love to have you. For current worship times, location, and other ministry options, check out mtviewchurch.net. And now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Um, So we started a new series last week, simply called The Way. And uh, the impulse for this series just came from me realizing how much easier it is to wear the label of Christian without following the way of Christ. It's become way too easy to do that, I think. And that would have been totally foreign in the first century, right? We talked about this last week because in the first century, it was backwards. In the first century, Christian was a term that outsiders used to, to talk about the followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus themselves simply referred to themselves as the way. And I think it was because of something Jesus himself said, right? John 14, verse six, we, maybe this is scripture you've heard. A lot of us maybe have memorized this. If not, it would be a really good one to memorize one of these days. But John 14, six, Jesus tells his disciples, I am the way. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the disciples of Jesus picked up on that term. And we looked last week at all the different places where the way shows up in the New Testament. And what we're doing in this series is trying to answer the question, what is the way? Like, what does that mean? And how does one get on the way to begin with? And then how do you stay on it? Like, what's required of you if you are going to be followers of the way of Jesus? Um, and, and sometimes I think we make it more difficult than it needs to be. You know, I really do. We, we try to explain it in ways that's like, I don't really get it. And so I, I, we've boiled it down to really three steps. And the first of which is to follow. We talked about last week. This is what the message was all about. If you missed it, you can go on our website or, or jump on one of the podcasts and, and listen to that, which by the way, is now available on Spotify. Apparently that's a thing. All you non-Apple people have been mad at me for five years because it's only been on Apple Podcasts. We are catching up with the times. We are now on Spotify, so you can check it out on there too. But what does follow mean, right? Last week was all about follow. What does following Jesus mean? Well, we know that the New Testament wasn't really originally written in English, right? The New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word translated as follow is this word akalutheo, which which literally just without, you know, not in a religious context, but just the word itself just means to accompany on a journey or to walk with someone. It's a really simple term. And this is exactly what being a follower of Jesus means. It's to walk the journey of life with Jesus. It's to want to imitate him. It's It's to learn from him. It's to see the world the way that he sees the world and to follow his lead and not your own. That's what follow means. That's, that's, what it, that's the most basic way of putting it. In fact, walking is one of the primary verbs used throughout scripture to describe a relationship with God. Um, if you think back to the very beginning of, of the Bible, Genesis talks about how God would walk in the garden looking for his children. And then in Deuteronomy, right? Deuteronomy, God tells Moses, um, you must walk the precise path that the Lord your God indicates for you so that you will live and so that things will go well for you. 
right? There's a, there's a path, and, and you, you've got to walk the right path, right? Psalm 86, verse 11, it says, teach me your way, Lord, so that I can walk in your truth. God, teach me your way so that I can walk in it, right? This is way back in Psalms. And then in the New Testament, there's tons of passages talk about walking in the light, um, talks about um, walking in the newness of life. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, says that those who stay faithful to Jesus will uh, be clothed in, in white and walk with him. So from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible, this theme of walking a path with God. Okay, so following Jesus, the first thing I want us to just get away, take away from that is following Jesus is an active thing. It's a verb. It's, it's an everyday, like, how can I get closer to Jesus? Or how can I obey him? How can I live with him and, and learn from him. So that's the first step, to decide to, to want to follow him, okay? And then you come to step two. This is the one we're gonna kind of camp out and talk about today. Step two of the way is believe. So first step, follow. Second step, believe. See, Jesus, we talked about this last week. He, he didn't give the disciples a lot of directions up front, you know, like he didn't lay out, like here's all of the things you have to sign up for if you're going to enlist and be one of my followers. Here's all the things you need to change in your life and you need to get right. Here's all of the list of all of the things that, that you need to sign off on if you wanna be my follower. But you know, a, f- a funny thing happened that along the way, they came to believe. And, and I don't know when it happened, for each one of the disciples. I don't know exactly when they would say, yep, this is the moment that I became to believe. Not, not just in Jesus' teachings, okay? Not just that he was a great teacher. and not, They didn't just come to believe in his ethics, like his moral code, his, his do's and don'ts, or, or any of those things. Um, as the disciples followed Jesus, they, they came to believe that he really was who he said he was. That's the belief that mattered. And out of that flows all kinds of other beliefs. And so one of my favorite scenes is in John chapter six, right? If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter six. If you're on the Bible app, you can get there pretty quickly. It's also in the events as usual. You can follow along with all this there in the Bible app. But John chapter six, fourth book in your New Testament, Jesus is, um, you know, walking with his disciples, one of whom was John. And, you know, it's funny. John describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved, which feels kind of arrogant to me. Like he's writing the Bible, he's writing the book, and he's like, how should I describe myself so that a thousand years from now people talk about me in church? Oh, I know, I'll call myself the one whom Jesus loved. (laughs) Just a little cocky, I think, personally. But, you know, they had a special relationship because... John is the one who, when Jesus is dying on the cross, John is the one who Jesus looks down on and says, hey, John, I want you to take care of my mom for me. Can you imagine the trust Jesus must have had in John to say that? So there was clearly a a special relationship, right, between John and and, and Jesus. And so he's writing this book and, and in John 6, the disciples have been following for a little while. They've heard some of the incredible teachings of Jesus. They've witnessed miracles. Like, they've seen all kinds of crazy things. But then in John 6, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to. Um, 
Jesus gets weird. Can I say that? Have you ever read the Bible and went, that's weird. This is, this is one of those moments, okay? In John chapter 6, the, the, the disciples were already a little upset because of some of the people Jesus was hanging out with. Remember last week, he, we talked, he, he invited Matthew, a tax collector, to follow him. So they were already rubbed the wrong way about the kind of associates this movement was picking up steam. But they got over it and they just like kept following whatever. But here, at John 6, like this is, this is just, this is creepy. This is creepy, Okay. Verse 53, Jesus said to them, the disciples as well as like a bunch of people that are listening in, okay? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Ew. Okay, all right. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. What? How do you think that went over? Like, this is just, this is weird. This is creepy. They're like, okay, we've been following, and we've been good with it, but a, a, Apparently, this is the point where Jesus reveals to us that he's a cannibal, and we're going to be cannibals too. Or maybe he's a vampire, because if we drink his blood, we live forever. Like, this is weird, okay? And it's so weird, this is what happens in verse 66. It says, from this time on, many of his disciples, these were the people who were following him, people who had made step one. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Like Jesus loses people here. But not everyone, not everyone, right? The core 12, the 12 disciples, they are still there. And so Jesus turns to them and he uses this as an opportunity. He, he asks them this question. You do not want to leave too, do you? Like, this is your out. If you think I should be in a straight jacket, if you think I'm a cannibal, if you think this is just too much and this is weird and you don't want to be associated with people who talk like this, you can go if you want. Because Jesus never forces us to follow him. It's a choice. And so he's asking them, what is your, what's your choice here? Do you want to be like them and leave too? And so Peter speaks up. Right, I love Peter. This is kind of his role in scripture. When everyone else is quiet, like Peter's the guy in your life group who doesn't like silence. So even if they don't have the right answer, they're gonna talk because no one else is talking and it feels weird, right? If you don't know someone in the group that's that way, you probably are the person in the group that's that way, right? That's Peter. So Peter talks. He's like, ah, this is getting weird. I'm gonna say what I think. Simon Peter answered him, verse, verse 68. Lord, to whom shall we go? Right, Jesus is like, do you want to leave too? Peter's like, where, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to, what's it say? Believe. Somewhere along the way, 
We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. So this is a hard teaching. In fact, um, earlier in this section, they actually say those words. This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? But here, Peter is expressing on behalf of all the disciples this, this sentiment of like, you know what though? This is hard. But we've followed you this far and we've been with you long enough and we've seen what you can do and we've heard your teachings. And we've come to believe that you really are who you say you are. And we've come to believe that you really are from God and that you're about to do something in this world that can't happen otherwise and that we can't find anywhere else. We believe you are the way. Right, that's the order. They followed and then believed. And that's the order that, that all of us have to kind of go down. Right, now, some of us, maybe, maybe most of us in this room, maybe those of you watching online, we, we've already crossed that line in our lives. Like we've, we're pretty confident that Jesus is who he says he was and, and, and we believe him for that and we believe what he did for us and, and all of those things. Others of us, again, well, online in the room, some of us were kind of just on the verge. We're exploring this idea. We're, we are, we're in step one. Like, I'm gonna follow this Jesus guy. I'm gonna follow this Jesus way, but I'm not sure yet. And that's why you're here. You're exploring, you're learning, right? Others of us are just skeptical. We're like, I don't, I don't believe this. I don't, I don't understand this. Like, I don't really know how this works. And if that's you, or if that's you watching online, I'm just glad you're here. First of all, like, I'm just glad you're here to learn, but we're going to actually read a section of scripture from a guy who I think is probably way more skeptical than you've ever been. Right? This is a guy who spent the first half of his life not only not believing in Jesus, but putting people in jail who did. Because he thought that this whole Jesus thing was totally messed up and made no sense at all and, and was actually bad for society. So we need to squelch this whole Jesus movement. And he spent the first half of his life persecuting people. But then he had an experience. Then he met Jesus for himself. And he went from persecuting the way to teaching it and spreading it all around the world. In fact, he wrote one third of the New Testament that we hold today. And his name is Paul, spoiler alert. You knew that, didn't you? His name is Paul. And he actually helps explain what does believing mean. Right? He was a really sharp guy, really smart. And so in Romans, if you want to jump over there, that's where we're going to go next. In Romans, Paul is trying to explain, well, okay, so if you believe in Jesus, like why does that matter and what does it mean? Like what does it mean? What's the significance of believing? And Romans is this really like dense theological treatise on faith in Jesus, and so we're going to start in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, and we're going to kind of work through this line by line. So it'd be important to kind of get there with me, and so you can kind of track what I'm, where I'm going. But Romans chapter 3, verse 21, Paul, this previous skeptic, remember, this is what he writes. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known or been revealed to which the law and the prophets testify. So the word you may want to underline there or circle or highlight or whatever is the word righteousness because it's going to show up a lot. 
What does righteousness mean? The most basic level to be righteous means to be in right relationship with God. It means that everything between you and God is good and you are in right standing with him. And I think most of us want that, right? Even if you're not sure what you believe and you're kind of skeptical, whatever, it's like, we want to be righteous, okay? I, I've officiated a ton of funerals lately, more than, more than I've had in a long time. And one of the things I've noticed is that regardless of what you've believed or done up into your life, up into that moment, when you're in the hospital and you're, you're given days or when you're at home and, and hospice has been called in, you want to be right with God, you start to wonder, like, what's, what's really worth it, <laughs> right? And what's life about? And, and am I right with God? I mean, that, those are the questions that happen, right? And you'll try anything in those moments. You know, you're like, give me a cross necklace and let's, you know, let's put a star of David up on the wall and preacher, bring a lucky rabbit's foot if you got it. And maybe some of that oil you've talked about, like, whatever it takes, I just want to make sure, even people who follow Jesus their whole life, I'm telling you, like I get in that room in that moment and they just want to know, can you please assure me that I'm right with God? And Paul says, you know, you don't need all of the trinkets and all of those things to know that. In fact, you don't even need to perfectly keep the law. Now, that's a huge claim that Paul makes there. You and I, we're not probably from a Jewish background, and so we don't really feel the force of the law, the, the law and how they felt about it. But to a Jew, if they would have read that, they would have said, wait a, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're telling me that I can be right with God, that I can go to bed at night, and I don't have to wonder if God is good with me and I'm good with him because it has nothing to do with whether or not I've done enough good things to balance out the bad things. Like, I don't, it's not about perfectly keeping the law? And Paul's like, yeah, the righteousness of God has been revealed apart from, separate to the law. And, and this is important, okay? Don't miss this. It's not because the Old Testament was wrong or because the law isn't important or doesn't serve a role. It does. He talks about that in this chapter as well. But Paul says the, the law, the Old Testament, the law and the prophets actually pointed to what he's about to say, but it was missed. Right? They, they trusted the law for the wrong thing. So why, this, this is great news, Paul, because <laughs> I was never very good at keeping the law anyway. So how do I get in right standing with God? Okay, verse 22, he gives us the answer. He says, this righteousness is given, right? It's given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, what's the word? believe. It's actually in there twice. The, the root of the word faith and belief is the same in the Greek. It's this, this root pistis, right? Faith is the noun. Belief is the verb, right? To believe is to have faith in someone or something, to trust it. So faith and belief are kind of two sides of the same coin. And Paul says, this is how you become righteous. It is a gift, it's just been, it's something that God gives you through believing, through faith in Jesus. Are you tracking with me? And then he says, it's the same for everybody that you've ever met. It's the same for you. It's the same for me because we're all in the same bucket together, right? Here's the bucket, verse 23. 
There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what bucket we're all in together that Paul puts us all in? We're all in the sinner's bucket. That feels good, doesn't it? Sit in the sinner's bucket. You know, it's like, but that's what Paul's like. Everybody, Jews, Greeks, Gentile, everybody has sinned. Right, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Now, we've not all sinned to the same degree. We've not all sinned in the same way. I mean, looking around the room, it's like, I think I'm at least 24% less sinful than most of you in here. You know, I just, I feel good about myself, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Like, no, like Paul's like, that's not how it works. All of us are in the same bucket. There's, there's sins of omission, which are the things that you should do, but you don't do. And then there's sins of commission, which are the things you do that you shouldn't do. And that pretty much hits everybody. If you're, if you're sitting here going like, well, I don't really know. Like, maybe I'm not in that bucket with everybody else. It's like, go across to Newfelds for lunch today. And just, why don't you just have a friendly little conversation with the people closest to you today? And just, you know, could you tell me how I've sinned at some point in my life? You know, any examples you might offer? Because I don't really feel like I'm in that bucket Pastor Mike was talking about. I feel like you'll probably come up with something. Be a really nice brunch conversation, you know, just really light and fun. Yeah. The Jews, though, the Jews were way aware of their sin. You and I, like, 21st century Americans, we have a little bit of a hard time anybody telling us that we've done something wrong. Who are you to tell me? Who, you know, the Jews would have been like, yeah, I'm in the bucket. Because they had so many rules, right? We know about the Ten Commandments. That's the most obvious example. But, you know, they, they took the Jewish law and they interpreted down, they had 613 in the Old Testament law, known as the mitzvot. Maybe you've, maybe you've heard of the bar mitzvah, right? The bar mitzvah is a Jewish celebration of when a, when a boy turns 13. And the, the reasoning is they believe that 13 is the age of accountability. It's when you are accountable for your own actions and your own sins at 13, right? And so the bar mitzvah literally means son of the commands. It's when you take responsibility for your own sin. That's what the bar mitzvah is. No one keeps them all. They were never able to, which is why God set up the sacrificial system to begin with. He knew, he knew, like he knew they would fail. And, and people needed a way to be forgiven. Like an imperfect people needed a way to be in right standing with a perfect God. But here Paul says, you don't need any of that anymore because another sacrifice has been, been given for you. Right? How do you have a right standing with God? Paul says it's not, it's not gonna happen by trying to perfectly keep the law or trying to out, you know, outweigh, well, I've done more good things than bad things or I'm better than that person, so you, know, you gotta let me in here, God. Here's how Paul says it happens. Again, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely. That's a beautiful word. Freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, there's so many theological terms in this chapter, like, welcome to Romans. If you've never read Romans, like, this is, this is how it goes. But justified, what does that word justified mean? I, it's kind of corny, but growing up, I always heard it this way, that, that justified means just as if I've never sinned, right? That, that 
In God's eyes, I have been made right with him, and it is, I am not guilty, and it is just as if I've never sinned. But how do you get there? This is the best part. Paul just says, it's free. It, here. God's like, here, take this, please. This is for you. You just have to receive it. You just have to say, thank you. Now, we don't trust the word free, do we? I don't trust the word free. Anybody else have free, like there's strings attached with free stuff. Um, I grew up, my dad, he was a, a police officer and we, we weren't like particularly close, but he always had these moments where he thought, you know, life lessons with dad. And I remember sitting down one day after school and having dinner and my dad said, you know, son, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Anybody hear that growing up? There's no such thing as a free lunch. And I was like 12, and I just remember thinking, well, I didn't buy this food, but. <laughs> and my dad wasn't like, that's as much as I was going to get out of him. And just remember that, son. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Okay, dad. So then I get to college. I went to Indiana Wesleyan University, and I'm in college, and, and I'm taking an economics class from our Croatian professor. And, you know, he gets up there and he is just drilling us. Um, it was like a mantra. Every, we began every class with, you know, there's, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And when, when, when a guy named Dr. Ivan Pongrasic says it to you, you're like, oh, that's true. <laughs> that, yep. He's, he's right. I don't know what it means exactly, but that's true. But you know, he would teach us about, you know, hidden costs and how, you know, someone's got to pick up the bill somewhere. It might even be you later down the line. You don't realize it, but someone's going to have to pay for it, you know, and there's no, I, there's no such thing as no, no, no free lunch. And so a lot of us kind of, we, this is the waters we swim in. And, and so we hear this idea of free and we're like, ah, not going to get me. Uh-uh. And I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, God will never trick you, right? This is not a bait and switch. This is not a like, well, yeah, you say you believe it, but there's fine print that you don't, you can't read or understand, or, you know, you, you've got to call this 1-800 number, or you know, go to this website and click here, and then click here, and click here, and give us your birthday, and now answer these few questions, now click here, give us your bank account number, and your social security number, and click here, like, this is not a, this is not a, I got you moment from God. This is a gift. God will never try to like trick you. All you have to do is receive it. And here's how the gift was made available to you. See, verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. See, maybe, maybe my dad's right. Because it's free to you and me, but it wasn't free to God. And it wasn't free to Jesus. He paid for it. He, the gift is free to you and me because he shed his blood. But there comes a point along the way where you have to, you have to go, okay, I think I get this now. I've been following I've been tracking with Jesus and I may not fully understand it, but I believe it. I believe this. 
that God sent Jesus to do for me what I could not do for myself. And, and that's to put me in right standing with God himself. And I'm gonna receive it by faith, right? By belief. Now you say, well, wait, isn't there more to Christianity? Like, isn't there things that we do and don't do? And isn't there rules and all this stuff? And yes, there are. But we get the order backwards, right? We're like, well, here's, all, here's the stuff. Like, follow all of these rules and, and now you're in. And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 listen. There are expectations to how someone who follows me and truly believes that I am who I am and that I gave my life for them, that there will be a way that you'll want to live if you really believe that. But the order matters. It's follow, then believe, then you'll want to obey. So the, the band's gonna come up. We're gonna close with a final song today and take communion. If you, if you didn't get communion on the way in, there should still be some more um, out there in the trays. But as I, as I said earlier, I've been doing a lot of funerals lately. And the last funeral, uh, the family asked me to share from a, from a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And this is what the passage says. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So to oversimplify, and it's an oversimplification, God took Jesus' goodness and applied it to your badness. And then he took Jesus's righteousness and he applied it to your unrighteousness. And because of that, you can be in right standing with him. And I would bet that that's a verse or at least a truth that you would want to be true of you at your funeral. All right, when you come to the end of your life, you're not gonna care about how much money you made or what kind of house you live in or what title you have at work or how many states you got to visit or countries you got to fly to or how many of your wildest dreams you got to check off your bucket list. I mean, all that stuff's important. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But when you come to the end of your life, you're, you're gonna wanna know, am I in right standing with God? And Paul says, you can know that for sure if you believe, if you believe. So we're gonna take Holy Communion together, but we're gonna do something we haven't done for quite a while. I'm just gonna ask everyone, if you just kind of close your eyes for a second and bow your heads and just have a moment with God, just, just you and God. You know, communion is what Jesus was alluding to in John chapter six. There's no way the disciples would have known that. It's kind of one of those things that you and I, we get to read back and go, oh, this is what he's talking about. But communion, you know, we take the bread that represents the body of Jesus and the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. And, and we symbolically feast on him. We receive his life. We receive his grace and his, er, and his grace. And we say, thank you. Right? And we, we remember what he gave up on our behalf and we, we give praise and thanks for that. That's what we do when we take communion. So communion is an act for believers. It's something that, that if you're not a 
believer yet, like you're not sure where you're at, you're still skeptical or whatever, don't take communion. No one's gonna judge you. No one's gonna walk through and say, hey, you can't come back here. No one's gonna say a word to you. No one's gonna know. But this is for believers. However, maybe you're here today or maybe you're watching online and this is your moment. Maybe you're like the disciples and you say, you know, I don't know when it happened along the way, but some, somewhere on the journey, I've moved from just following to believing. And I've never expressed it. And I, I've never really declared that, but I need, I need to, and I want to. Or maybe it's even this morning, the Holy Spirit is just drawing you in and you're like, wow, I, I believe. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. If you've never clearly expressed that before, you need to express that this morning. Would you just slip your hand up for a second so I can pray with you? We already had several in the first service. Yep, thank you. Anybody else just say, man, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've never, I, I don't know if I've ever declared that, but I need to. Anybody? Thank you, yep. God, you, you know right where we're at with you. You know the journey that we've been on. You know the doubts and the fears that we carry. You know what hesitations we maybe have. And you love us. And you beckon us to continue to follow and to just draw closer and closer. But for every one of us, there, there's this moment before you, God, where we just have to kind of say, where is my faith? Because if it's not in you, it's in ourselves or if it's in some philosophy of life or it's in some way of living. Like everybody puts their faith in something, but you are the way, the truth and the life. And at some point we have to say, I'm gonna put my faith there and I'm gonna follow and believe in Jesus. So I, I thank you for those who have taken that step today, those in first service and then this, this God, maybe even people watching online. Who knows, who knows where they're at and where they're watching, but you're just speaking to them and moving God. I just, I thank you for their trust and their faith in you. That is a, itself is a gift, right? Faith itself is a gift that you give us the ability to express and we put it back on you. And because of that, your word says we, we cross from, from death to life, from darkness to light. So we just, we give you praise this morning for those who have taken that step. Help us to continue to follow. Help us to continue to trust. We pray this in your son's name, amen. Well, the band's gonna play this final song. At any point, um, feel free to take communion if you're a believer in Christ. And just, this is again where we, we feast on what Jesus has done for us. And we say thanks. So you could stand if you want when you're ready. You could stay seated, whatever you want. Just uh, be obedient to how he's leading you today.